appreciation of, I guess, first of all, the difficulty that founders, some of the difficulties that founders face. So I've been a founder myself and I know what it's like to be living with a, a kind of constant existential threat and sometimes the impact that has on your own behaviours uh, and your own relationships. And a lot of those impacts can be unmitigated, pretty damaging. Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. Hey folks, it is RJ Singh here at Ultra Habits. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. So today we are talking all things startup with Craig Davis. Now, Craig is a mentor. He has founded businesses himself. He's currently the chief evangelist at Upside Founder Programs, where they run programs here in Australia, helping founders learn to manage themselves, manage their teams, and manage their businesses better. He's also an adjunct professor at UTS Business School, amongst many other things. It's an absolute pleasure to have Craig on the show today. Now, startups and entrepreneurs today are celebrated, in my view, as the new athlete. The appeal and call for those in corporate to leave or people out of university to join the startup world is strong. And, you know, we've all heard of the unicorns and we all celebrate their success. But the stark and harsh reality is that many startups fail and they are stressful environments. A lot of people have a lot of financial risk tied up. They have families. They have their source and sense of well-being being derived from what is a very, at times, a very chaotic environment. So Craig is interesting in the sense that he went through the journey and he wanted to understand whether or not it was possible to be involved in the the world of startup in such a chaotic and, and volatile environment at times and hold it together. So originally... Craig comes out of the world of marketing, a super, super senior guy with some of the the most recognized advertising firms. He worked for Saatchi and Saatchi and J. Walter Thompson. He worked all around the world and ultimately he came back to Australia and he felt like there were some important questions he needed to answer. And primarily, the, the fundamental question was, was it possible to be high-performing and a happy human at the same time. And that's what he's embarked on, really, in understanding. And as part of his exploration, he became a certified teacher of Search Inside Yourself, a leadership program designed and tested at Google. And he's tried to practice the skills he's learned in everything he's done since a co-founder, CMO, investor, mentor, advisor, and coach. And now he teaches these skills to cohorts of founders. So today's episode is everything you need to know about what you can expect in the world of startup. You know, the highs, the lows, and how can you, as an entrepreneur founder, keep your shit together 
so you don't blow everything up. And how can you not only do that, but more so thrive in what at times, like I say, can be such a chaotic and volatile environment. The world of startup, as we know, is it promises a lot. And for those that are really willing and truly ready to take the plunge and leap, I think it's really important that you prepare yourself and that you strengthen yourself for the journey ahead. And I'm sure that this conversation with Craig is going to impact you such that you'll leave more ready and more prepared to take on that journey. Anyways, folks, I'm leaving you in the capable hands of Craig. I hope you do enjoy the show. If you feel like it and you enjoy the show, please rate this podcast. Anyways, folks, I'm out of here. Peace. Craig, welcome to the Ultra Habits Show. For those that don't know, we've had some technical issues in the morning, but we have arrived. Uh, hopefully, you know, not overly stressed out, but, you know, these things happen with technology these days. So welcome to the show, man. Hey, Najee, it's a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, we're going to talk about founders today and startups. So I was introduced to you by Matthew Barbuto. I know a few people that move within the realm of your program. Before we go into, you know, founder stuff, how did you come to the uh, the idea about starting the Upside Founders program? Like what drove that? So look, what drove it was an appreciation of, I guess, first of all, the difficulty that founders, some of the difficulties that founders face. So I've been a founder myself. Um, and I know what it's like to be living with a, a kind of constant existential threat and sometimes the impact that has on your own behaviors uh, and your own relationships. And a lot of those impacts can be unmitigated, pretty damaging and destructive. Uh, and because I think, you know, I'm older than most founders and I've done a few things, I've sort of seen that pattern repeat itself, not just not only with founders, but with other people that are working under, uh, working with a lot of intensity and working under a lot of pressure. And so my interest was was really about trying to help founders avoid some of those missteps and some of those mistakes uh, and to to develop some skills that might help them perform at a very high level for all the many years that it's going to take them to build the business that they want to build. What were some of those missteps and behaviors that you were operating with and took when you were a founder that were suboptimal? Yeah, so um, look, fortunately, by the time I founded a tech business, I'd learned a bit and I put some sort of firm boundaries around it. But if I go back um, into sort of previous incarnations, some of the things that I did were, you know, overwork is one that's a very common one consequences of overwork is that you underdo a lot of other aspects of your life. You undersleep. I know these aren't really proper words, but I think it'll make sense. You're going to, you're going to under exercise. You're going to under eat in terms of, uh, your, you know, basic nutrition. You may, you may actually overeat, but you're going to be, you're going to kind of be under eating in terms of the quality of the things that you're putting into your body. And that will include usually a whole bunch of stuff that ain't that good for you, like too much coffee. In my case, um, I spent many years chain smoking in between running triathlons, which was kind of ridiculous. But as you think you're, you know, you're bulletproof when you're young, uh, uh, alcohol, you know, 
other chemicals that you might lean on. And so, and you're going to underdo your relationships with the people that matter most to you, like your friends and your family, particularly family. So you're going to kind of under parent, you're going to under husband or wife or, you know, all those sort of things are the are some of the knock on consequences of committing yourself, over committing yourself to building a business. And, you know, where I'm going with this is that it becomes um, a very poor investment. So the kind of returns you're getting from that level of time and energy being focused and expended on something, those returns diminish. And actually, uh, at a certain point, I think they become counterproductive. It's interesting. I was talking about entrepreneurship with a friend um, a long time ago. This this conversation, I, I will not forget. We're just talking about the DNA of an entrepreneur. And I, I would get you to validate this, but, you know, she made this comment, which I agree with that to some extent an entrepreneur is someone that's kind of unhappy with the status quo like when they're in professional land right there's mm. something there that isn't satisfied and i think that's a tricky thing right because a lot of people may get into startup because they're inherently dissatisfied and do you find that a lot of people feel the success of their venture is going to make them happier like how much do they tie that up with <laughs> with ah uh, yeah the, yeah for sure for sure and and look i mean don't get me wrong i think that there is a level of obsession that is required to build something from scratch and there is a tremendous amount of hard work that is required so i'm not for a moment suggesting that there's an easier path and it doesn't require a lot of blood sweat and tears it does um i guess what i am saying though is that there is a nuts more effective balance to be struck than most people consider. And so where it gets unhealthy, and, and yes, I think there is a, there's a discontent with the status quo. I think that's, there's an itch that, that entrepreneurs want to scratch. And what a wonderful thing. And that is energizing, motivating. You know, that's kind of what, uh, in some respects, keeps people going. And it's a requirement, I would say, in many cases. So I, I totally agree with that. I think that the question is kind of how you execute. Knowing that, and knowing that um, however strong those urges and motivations may be, that you're still human and there are still limits to what your kind of uh, mortal form can endure. And if you develop healthier habits, which is sort of, you know, um, right in your wheelhouse here, but if you develop healthy habits and you, um, and you kind of train yourself properly, you actually find that your capacities go up, your capacities for hard work, your capacities for focus, your ability to hit, say, flow states. Um, and so the opportunity for, I don't even like using the word balance, I think a better alignment of all your resources um, so that you can marshal them to uh, pursue this thing that you want to do. I think there's just smarter strategies for doing that than, than most people had sort of considered. You just touched on something that I'm going to really dive into here because it's something that even for me is relevant. Like it's easy for me to release the beast, but the question is how do I then manage that in how I relate to the rest of the world, i.e. people, uh, my family, integration like for me it's easy to if i had no one in my life i could redline quite easily and then find a way to balance it out but with all the, the complexities of living a human life and relationships and trying to move with somewhat grace it's challenging so what are some of the things within your program let's say that we're accepting to do a startup we have to release that beast 
there has to be some level of obsession that we have to embrace to be successful. How do we ring? Yeah, yeah I, I, I do. And I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to trip you up here, RJ. I just kind of think it's interesting. I, I have a sort of a, a mild obsession of my own with the language around business and performance. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really interesting that so much of it borrows from military language, sometimes sporting mm-hmm. language, very masculine language. Um, and even uh, even the phrase, release the beef, is an interesting package, right? Yeah. Uh, or when you talk about redlining, redlining, like kind of, you know, revving dangerously, um, you know, putting, putting, you know, putting your whole race at risk because you're pushing the, the engine in this case, but all the componentry to its absolute limit as if that's a smart strategy for winning the race, right? And actually it's probably not a very smart strategy for winning the race because you might win one out of 10, but nine out of 10 times, you're just going to end up in the pits or on the side of the track. And um, and we know that, um, you know, we know that most startups fail. We know actually that most small businesses fail. They fail to become medium-sized businesses. They mostly knock themselves out in two years. And yet, so we've got all this sort of compelling evidence that the kind of business-as-usual approach to building something does not work well, is a very unreliable method. Uh, and and usually ends in disappointment or tears, uh, and yet we don't think about that a lot because I think that we we view ourselves as an exception. I mean, I'll give you an example of this, right? So I mean, I, I deal with founders a lot, and um, you know they're all very intelligent people, and they all understand that typically to build a business and get it to a point where you might be able to exit or IPO or uh, execute a trade sale is 10, 15 years on average. But of course, what does a highly motivated and fiercely intelligent and often competitive founder think? They go, well, yeah, but that's the average and I'm not average. It's not going to take me that long. And so, you know, you conduct yourself typically in the early years like it's not going to take that long and you make decisions because you think I'll be I'll be done in five, and I can afford to postpone uh, a lot of these things that I know are important to me for five years. I'll get away with it, and then I'll kind of you know I'll re-engineer myself at that point, or I'll redeem myself somehow with my family and my friends at that point. Uh, but it's just you know they're averages for a reason, and every founder is you know typically highly motivated, highly intelligent, extremely conscientious. Um, Toward, towards extroversion and also mildly neurotic. And and um, that's, yep. I mean, that's sort of just our standard issue stuff. Yeah. <laughs> standard <laughs> issue, bro. There's a military yeah, word yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. How, how then do founders, like what are the mechanisms you guys focus on to help ring fence all these qualities that are quite intense to make sure that they don't actually incinerate the founder themselves. <laughs> like, yeah, look, I, I think that's a, it's a great question. I, I think like context is so important and kind of setting context. And so one of the, one of the kind of raw truths and difficult realities for most founders, I think, is that they're, they're kind of always on. So they're always on possibly, as you suggest, because they're obsessed and fixated and, and yet there's a level of that that um, is a requirement. They're also always on because people around them 
for the for the most part, the people around them are looking to them and forming opinions, making judgments. Uh, there's something always at stake. You know, there's potentially there's money at stake. There's kind of a, an immediate need to raise money, and therefore a lot of the people you're hanging around with are potential investors or reinvestors in your business um, because talent is so competitive. You know, a good talent to, to get them into your company. Um, you know, you're kind of always on in that sense too. You're kind of always recruiting. You're always building your employer brand. Um, you're always sort of pitching to the room in case there's someone who's thinking about making a, a shift and they might want to jump your way. Yeah. And and so one of the things that we set out to do from the very, very beginning is create a different context. You know, we have an expression which is um, to be deeply unimpressive which is counterintuitive for people who are fundamentally impressive humans. You know, they've got, you know, they've often got like stellar academic records and PhDs in something, or maybe they dropped out of school at 14, but they've already started five businesses and, you know, made a few million already, you know, one way or another, or they've come out of a sporting background, you know, they've been to the Olympics and they know, you know, what hard work discipline is really about. Uh, so typically founders are very impressive people by all conventional measures but when we encourage them to be deeply unimpressive what we mean by that is kind of just let go like there is no money in this room there's no customers in this room if you stop being impressive for a moment what you open up is a possibility of building much deeper connections with the other people around you and sure as eggs you're going to be short on real connections in your life because one of the things that, you know, pursuing the building of this business will almost certainly guarantee for most founders is that uh, those relationships suffer. And a lot of people that you might regard as great friends, because when you were both knocking around at McKinsey's or Bain or B, you know, BCG or wherever you might have been, let's say, as an example, um, you're still great friends with those people. But you know, an, an expression I hear a lot from founders is um, they just don't get it. They don't, they, they don't get it anymore. And, you know, the difference between being a founder and having a job is that, you know, you can do a reasonable job and you get paid the same. And unless you're doing a terrible job, you probably still got a job. But everything's so precarious in a startup. If you don't do a, an outstanding job, you won't have a startup in a minute. Because you're bound through the cash, and no one will no one will stump up any any more for you. So um, it's a it's a much more dangerous way to operate for a lot of people. And so having context where you are psychologically safe, and you can say what you want, and you can be fallible, and your foibles are okay here, and people aren't going to judge you, or even if they do quietly judge you, there's no penalty for that. Yeah, you know, you're, you're not uh, you're not in any way um, impeding your own mm. progress, or uh, you know, doing any kind of reputational harm here. Context determines meaning, and I think it's really important. So, like we say, we now have the context set in terms of how the founders they've adopted uh, that that philosophy in terms of how they're facing the world. What are some of the key things within your program that you guys would focus on in terms of just habits and you know like you know things like practical stuff like meditation like what are some of the foundational stuff that you guys tend to orientate your founders towards 
Yeah. Um, well, thanks, RJ. That 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 too is a great question. What we do is we we try and flip the convention. So what I mean by the convention is no nobody like consciously would articulate what I'm about to say as like the absolute surefire go-to recipe for success. Because when I say it out loud, you'll go, well, that's just stupid, right? But this is what typically happens is that that people work every hour that God sends them. And they go, if I keep doing this, I'll get it to the stage where I can afford to employ some other people to put around me to do some of this stuff. And they get to that stage and they employ some other people to do some of that stuff. And the first surprise is I thought it was going to get easier, but far out. People are complicated, aren't they? And they're so demanding and needy and they need attention and, and they need direction and, uh, that, you know, uh, and we need to, we need to think about culture. We need to think more about processes and work practices, and um, and all that is is demanding in new ways. And so it doesn't get easier; it gets more complex. Um, and then, as you keep going, you think, well, you know, at some stage, I'll have the luxury of more time because as I hand off certain responsibilities to this team that I'm arraying around me, I'll have more time to work on the business, not in it, to be more strategic, do the things that I'm deeply passionate about and very good at in the business. But that time never comes. Um, and meanwhile, people are, are not taking care of themselves. And so energetically, uh, cognitively, uh, you know, in terms of emotional intelligence, all these things, their, their own performance falls away and they're role modeling really bad behavior to the people that with great effort and expense they've managed to, to bring into the business. And now they're a really shitty role model for a business, which turns out, you know, that's contagious and then does not fulfill its potential. Um, so of course, when I say it like that, people go, well, that, that's an idiotic way to do things. Well, yes, it is. And also, but it's the way that many startup founders are operating and no surprise that a lot of startup businesses limp along and disappoint or fail. Um, and so the first thing we do is go, let's just re-examine that. So we're not trying to, you know, pitch people a formula. We're just saying, I think it's probably time uh, that you entertain some other things that might be good for you. And it's for you to determine the things that are really good for you or not. Uh, but those things might be simple stuff like sleep. So everyone knows, oh, your sleep's really important. And I read Matthew Walker's book and I've seen his TED talk and yep, I buy it. And yet most people are not getting what Matthew Walker would recommend is the four cycles of sleep, which is, you know, roughly speaking, eight hours a night for most people, give or take a bit. Um, and so, you know, sleep's traded off and then there's lots of consequences around just that one thing. I'll give you an example of this, actually. So so we give everyone aura rings so that they can measure and manage their sleep like they haven't been able to before. Um, and of course, because you're getting data every day, what's really interesting with founders is they come into the room with their aura ring and they start getting competitive about it. <laughs> what was your sleep? Oh, right. How's your readiness yeah. score? What time are you That's going That's the challenge with data, man. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> kind of obsessing about it in a, in a whole new way. But actually, I, ca I kind of regard that as a very healthy obsession. Right? Actually, they're thinking about, you know, sleep. But 
um, one of the one of the things that's so great about it, I can remember I can remember um, last year one of the founders saying, sort of, I don't know, nine months into this, he said, "I just want to say to the room, I just want to say to everybody that that I, I can now prove, I can demonstrate that I'm getting twenty minutes more sleep a night." And it might not sound like a lot, but let me tell you how that translates into my world. He said, first of all, um, I'm a better leader for my team. I'm making better decisions. I'm more decisive. I'm clearer. I have more time and attention for them. And I know their feedback about me has improved out of sight. He said, maybe more importantly, at the beginning of the year, I was engaged. I had a fiance. And here we are nine months into the year. And she still wants to marry me. And I put that down to sleep because I was a bit of an ass before that. And, you know, just things that are kind of that simple, but that powerful are really important. And for him, it was that extra 20 minutes sleep that is, you know, he recognizes having this kind of profound effect on his performance and his relationships. Um, you know, other just to stick with sleep, I had uh, another founder um, a couple of years earlier just say, well, I just, I just made one decision. I'm just going to bed at 10 o'clock and I'm winding down at 9.30 and I'm just doing that. And it's just made such a difference to the next day for me. And so because I know that it's working for me, um, that's, that has become a habit. So that's sleep is one. Um, uh, exercise is another. So again, you don't have to be an athlete, but remembering that you have a body and remem remembering it's not just a vehicle for transporting your head around and that there's there's other things it can do and enjoys doing and benefits from and that it does, you know, a little bit of exercise will sharpen up a whole bunch of stuff for you, um, including your energy levels. Um, meditation, we get into, we get into meditation, sort of this, this intersection of, of, uh, mindfulness, meditation, uh, neuroscience and emotional intelligence. They're all, I'm not trying to lump them together like they're one thing, but they have a very interesting dynamic. Um, and so we explore each of them a little, um, but principally what we, we help people appreciate is that some of these practices that have been around for thousands of years, we can now measure because of neuroscience, you know, because the fidelity of measurement and our understanding of how brains work, you know, they're, they're, how you can change both their, their kind of form and function because they're plastic. Our understanding of that is just improving daily and our ability to measure changes in brain structure and function is improving daily. And so you can, you can evidence the benefit you can point to what's actually happening in brains now that we couldn't do 10, 15, 20 years ago, and certainly not 2,000 years ago. So, you know, some of the the, the great practitioners of contemplative practices, you know, and famous practitioners through history were kind of clearly onto something. It's now, now Western science is starting to catch up with that, which makes it more... Uh, easier to accept for a lot of people. And again, a lot, a lot of founders are very data-driven and science-y by nature, uh, and there's evidence for this. And so the evidence helps people entertain some of these practices and, and some of those people who entertain them go on to turn them into habits. Yeah, I actually was, I had a conversation yesterday, um, and, uh, 
this gentleman, Chuck, has been a, a guest on my podcast. He's ex-VP of Aura Ring. We're actually trying to understand how we can get more of this data into businesses here in Australia, whether or not the, the market would be receptive to that kind of performance um, approach instead of kind of getting businesses to sit in a workshop and hoorah and, you know, give them shit Mentos food and all that stuff for the day. Like, how do we actually do something that's value driven over time and whether or not the Australian market would have an appetite for that? And obviously you're doing that within your founder program, but would businesses at mass be willing to really lift the hood on that level of visibility? Would people participate um, because of data privacy issues? Uh, obviously, people that come to your program are willing participants because they're interested. <laughs> Do you know w- would a business yeah. want their boss to see that they've been binge doing cocaine for five days? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a whole. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean, mate? But uh, yeah, yeah. But look, there's, there's degrees of that, right? And I think that that you don't have to turn it into a surveillance exercise. I mean, you could. You know, if if company A decided we're going to give everyone an aura ring and, you know, they're expensive, so let us know if you don't want one. But if you say you do, then yeah. we'd totally encourage you to use it and the good folk at Aura are going to help you understand, you know, we'll organise a... I mean, they're onboarding really good anyway. It's a pretty intuitive mm-hmm. kit, but, you know, we'll we'll um, help you understand exactly, you know, how this thing works and and why it's so clever and how to get the most out of it and over to you. I mean, e- even, you know, that might seem like an extravagant thing for a company to do, but I, I'd venture to suggest actually, I mean, I've, I've just seen it's great technology and I've just seen it impact so many people positively that that'd be a pretty good thing for a lot of companies to do for their people. Mm. Um, and then, and you don't have any visibility of whether people are sleeping well or not. Um, I mean, it's, you know, Aura would tell you that, um, you know, if you wanted to make a study of the data and you can set up a Teams um, app where whoever's, you know, an admin in um, in that app can see how people are sleeping. Um, if you want to get sciencey about it, you can probably tell um, if people are pregnant or you can tell or it would say that you could tell when someone's got COVID, yeah. for example. Yeah. Um, but that's getting creepy. And I think that there's a lot of individuals who would go, I don't want my company to see that, right? I don't want them to kind of see my sex life. Mm. Well, of course, fair enough. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's it's not a not a good idea for the company to support better sleep practices in in a, in across their teams. Yeah, we were originally talking because... Uh, I had an introduction by a gentleman by the name of Charlie Engel. He's in recovery. Uh, he's one of the first kind of OG ultra runners. He ran across the whole Sahara. And he's always doing crazy stuff, and he's a wheeler and dealer. And he spoke to me a, a couple months ago, and he's like, yeah, these guys, these ex-Aura uh, guys have this ability to potentially see, we were talking about people coming out of rehabs off of addiction to kind of give them this technology which would enable people that are monitoring to that to know if they would potentially going to relapse right like so and i was like wow okay the implication of that because i'm i'm in recovery too so i thought well then that could be massive right and that's kind of how this whole conversation started um but i want to go back to 
one of the things you talked about, which I think is really important uh, when you were talking about this piece on sleep. So one of the things that I do, and it's been controversial, when, particularly when I worked in a company with people that I wasn't necessarily the founder, I was a shareholder, but you've had a responsibility to other people that didn't necessarily have the same philosophy as you. But something that I've already be, always been very strong on is that you know, my day is designed around three things. That's sleep, exercise, and time with family. My work is actually designed around that, not the other mm-hmm. way around. Mm-hmm. And that is always be, that, that's always come at kind of, that's been a bit controversial depending on who is working with me, right? Like people that operate on that inside out approach, they appreciate that, they respect that. And for me, it's really important. You know, when I do my scheduling on a Sunday, I know where I'm going to be, you know, how much am I sleeping, where and how am I going to interact with my family, and when am I exercising, and I actually design everything around that. And I think it's very easy, though, when you get pulled in the hustle and bustle of work to start to kind of erode at those things that are key and Mm -hmm. and that you value. One of the things I want to ask you about is the, the role of family. Now... These founders that you typically come across, are there spouses or partners? Because I think the primary relationship is very important, right? Like, are you, yeah. how that is going, if it really impacts how we as, as business people are going, like, is that relationship challenging? Like, do you find it, in general that people have supportive partners or does it become a bit adversarial and... What's that whole space look like, given your whole view of so many founders? Yeah, I, I mean, look, um, I, I would say that, that you know, I'm guessing here, but I would say at least 75, 80% of the founders that I'm dealing with have some significant other in their life. Mm-hmm. And the reason that is, is because the founders that I'm working with are, are usually somewhere between three and 13 years into their journey. I think three was the youngest, 13 has been the most. So let's let's say seven or eight on years on average. Um, so they may well not have had a partner at the beginning of this journey because they were younger. Um, but you know, life continues to roll on, and and in many ways, you know, th- things change more radically than they than we anticipate. And and so having a partner, maybe having children, in many cases, that becomes part of the reality they're dealing with. Um, Interesting. I mean, I've got no insight really into whether those those relationships are healthy and supportive in any um, in any really intimate way. But what I would say, you know, that it comes up, of course, um, and I think most of those relationships are at, at times strained by the demands of the business and maybe the lack of clear boundary setting that that founders have in the beginning, um, often. Um, and I've even had founders say to me, um, this happened last year, actually one founder said after our first couple of days together, he said, Hey Craig, you know, I, I, I don't know whether you've ever thought about this, but I think it'd be really great if you ran this uh, sort of a program for partners. And we, we had a little bit and a little bit of a chat about it, and, and I had a chat about it with my team as well. Could you know, could we do that? And you know, maybe one day we will. I'm not sure that we should do it with partners separate to 
the founder, so, you know, a female founder with a male or female partner, I think it's better that we do it together than we go, hey, partners, step this way. Um, because that feels like that's, hmm, that feels like it's outside that that primary relationship. And I think it, the, the work would be more effective if everyone was in the room together. Yeah. But actually, let me come back to, to something you touched on earlier when you asked that question about how you structure your work around these other important aspects of your life um, and how that's not always easy when you're working in a team of other people who don't do that or don't want to do that. Or maybe, you know, a boss who is much more into input than output. Um, you know, I think that's changed a lot, actually. I mean, courtesy of COVID mm -hmm. and people working from home, I think people have started to better understand that turning up the office is not a measure of productivity. Um, it's, you know, your work product is a better indication, the quality and the volume um, and the degree of difficulty in achieving it. Those sort of things are, are more important and maybe even outcomes over outputs more important, you know, so the impact of that work on the business or the team. So um, I think there's a better understanding of that sort of stuff now. I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Now, we're going to start to land the plane here because I know that uh, we have a hard stop shortly. It's been a terrific, impactful interview. Sometimes having shorter interviews is actually better because you just get straight into it. Landing this plane, one of the things that we always ask our guests is something kind of habit-orientated, right? And it doesn't necessarily have to be a habit, but it could be a way of operating or a way of facing the world. But, you know, say you were to give a a new founder one piece of advice what would that advice be craig based on just the collective exposure you've had to this world and for such a long time well the the, the simple and slightly general advice but because it's slightly general doesn't make it any less true i would say um because people ask me a version of that question often um, you know, what's the most important thing I could do? What's the best bit of advice you've ever had about, and so on. Um, so, so my answer is simple, which is self-care. So if you don't take care of yourself and whatever that might mean for you, right? So, you know, my version of self-care is different to yours and, and, and anyone listening, their version of what's important in terms of self-care for them will be different. And that's all great. As long as you, um, you have a serious, you make a serious effort to understand what it is that you need to care for yourself and then make sure that that is absolutely sacrosanct. So, um, you know, you've got to preserve the time and the space and the importance of that. And probably in a small startup team or any team, you know, you should not be in any way apologetic or afraid to share that with people. Because what you want to be doing is you want to be, yeah, yeah this, is, this is about the difference between virtues and values, right? So most companies will have a shiny set of values that they kind of go, look at us and we're into, you know, um, ingenuity and, uh, and passion and uh, humility, whatever it might be. And I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing those things. It's, they're really important. But what's more important is that a founder role models those things. And in truth, those things should be virtues of the founder in the first place or large informed by the virtues of the founders. That has an enormous positive 
and radiating effect on a culture and the performance of a business. But if you go wind this right back to if you're not caring for yourself, you're never going to be role modeling those virtues because you're going to be some hollowed out facsimile, some kind of, you know, disappointing version of yourself. Uh, and so after that, everything becomes suboptimal. So just don't do it. That's way too high, uh, high a price to pay. So whatever it is for you that, that matters to you and is about caring for yourself, that has to be protected, nurtured, supported. Excellent. And so Craig, where can our audience learn more about your program? Oh, if they go to founderprograms.com, they can learn more about the program. And actually, we've just launched another one called uh, Upside for Teams. So uh, we don't want to keep all this kind of secret sauce wholly and solely for founders, uh, but their teams are every bit as human as they are and uh, would benefit from from uh, aspects of this learning and, and exposure and experience. So uh, we've just opened it up to startup teams as well. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time, Craig. We really are grateful for the time, Ed. Wonderful. Thanks for the chat, RJ.